0: Hi guys, this is Andy McDonald, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's episode, I have Dr. Cheryl Calder, a sports scientist, performance coach, and the founder and CEO of iGym. In this episode, Dr. Calder is going to provide us with a very unique insight into how she improves athletes' visual performance. Dr. Calder has a very extensive background working with some top athletes and teams around the world, but she's perhaps best known for her work with some successful Rugby World Cup winning teams. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please make sure you subscribe and share it with your friends. On a side note, if there's any areas of performance and sports medicine that you would like to hear more about, or perhaps you have a guest suggestion, then please drop us an email on the informedperformance.com website or drop us a message on our Instagram page, InformPerformance. Anyway, here is the conversation between myself and Dr. Cheryl Calder. Dr. Cheryl Calder, it's a pleasure to speak to you. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you, Just to begin with, could you take us through your story? I guess um I'm aware you were you were a former sports person, um and I'm quite keen to understand how you went from being a sports person to developing an interest professionally in visual performance and kind of where you are today
1: okay so it's 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 quite a long story and um, taken quite a couple of paths. but um, in your end, probably probably my my first career was was playing field hockey for South Africa. Um, but it took a little bit of a different turn to normal people or normal elite athletes. Um, we, I played some of my hockey in isolation, so in South Africa were not allowed to compete against other athletes in the world. And um, we eventually got back into international sport, and I, I did play quite a number of tests for, for South Africa. Um, but what I did when we were isolated, Uh, I had this yearning to measure myself against other hockey players in the world. And isolation for South Africa was we didn't see any – we didn't get any magazines, we had no television, uh, we had access to absolutely nothing. A lot of books never came into the country and all kinds of stuff. So we were were really isolated. And I just felt uh, if I could get overseas and just compete against other international hockey players – it would give me an idea of, of the status of my, my own performance. And um I actually, while we were still isolated, as soon as my season ended, um, even though I played a few rebel tours, we had people coming into South Africa and played in for South Africa and a couple of those, um, the true international competition was really competing, you know, in the in the normal international world. So I went over my own um the first country I went to was Germany, and I played two seasons in Holland. I played a season in England. But after my long season in South Africa, I went overseas and just no money, not, absolutely nothing, and just asked people could I play in their club and then started experiencing all these visual components, which today is is actually my career. And I, I just discovered that um, so many people playing in all these different countries kept saying to me, how do I do that or how do I see that? And I just thought, you know, why are they asking this? You know, it should be that they see what I do. Um, and then quickly discovered when I uh, we got back into international sport, out of isolation, played test hockey, and then realized I do see different. Um, I had, uh, I got selected for some teams and people wrote me emails saying, it's amazing, you know, you never run on the field and all those kind of stuff. And I just thought, well, you know what's going on, and then up to a point where I realised, yeah, I do do things differently, and I'm actually going to backtrack and research, and show that um, I knew that I trained my eyes and my brain and my body in a different way as a young kid, just by having this really inquiring mind about how do you do it, how do you judge, how do you, how do you, how do you target, and etc. Um, it's kind of the way I, I kept myself busy as a young kid, and um, which then culminated in me developing all these skills, which had an influence on how I played hockey. Um, and then, then started decided that if I wanted to follow a career or show people that this really works, that I needed to do research. And a really long story. I then approached. Um, University of Cape Town professor, uh, his name is Tim Noakes, uh, more famous for, for the whole Banting philosophy today, but um, a physiologist and medical doctor at that point. And we, um, I just said to him, this is what I, what I think. I believe it's trainable. I believe you can improve performance if you train your eyes and your brain and your, your motor response. And he said, well, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll teach you to research and you teach me what you know. And I, I started on this journey, which was, it, did, it It was daunting, um, even though I believed in what I was doing because I knew it worked. So, and everyone thought I was crazy. It didn't really matter. Um, and then um, completed my, uh, eventually completed my PhD uh, while I was still studying, while I was playing hockey South Africa. Um, completed my PhD and In 1996, the first sports science institute opened up in South Africa, in Kato, and I approached them and said, would they they give me an office? And they said, what do you want to do? And I said, well, this is what I believe. And they said, yeah, you can have an office. Um, And I I moved in there in 1996 and started from zero with a desk and and a chair and started exploring um, what I believed and I completed my PhD in 1999. So, um, but then started working already, and the probably first international team I I worked with, or out of South Africa team I worked with, was Surrey cricket in 1997, I think, round about there. Um, and soon after that, with Pakistan cricket, um, and then completed my PhD in 1999, and then. Big rugby team, first big rugby team I worked with was, was the All Blacks in 2001 2002. and From there, I went on to work with England. I worked with Australia cricket in the meantime and a lot of other, many other international teams. Um, and then in 2012, I, I worked with Ernie Els in winning the British Open in golf. So those were kind of, if I must highlight, you know, those are probably the The more important things I did, but tons of other stuff that were as important.
0: Just to kind of backtrack, um, when you kind of went through that research process, how did you um, you kind of formalize or funnel those uh, tried and tested um, experiences that you'd done yourself and kind of formalize them into uh, and, you know, kind of box them into being a research title and a more structured project? How did you kind of go through that process or or Uh, what, what specifically did you look at?
1: Um, I had already um, identified which skills were important for me as a player, which kind of divided me from others, and um, as I mentioned, in 1996, I started working already at the Sports Science Institute, and then started working with international teams, and I found that amongst all these teams, there were trends, and even though... I always presume that the elite athlete is really good at most skills. I realised very quickly that everyone has strengths and weaknesses in their visual motor system, and everyone is unique. Where one guy would be really good at certain skill, another player would be bad at that skill. And I realised early days that those skills are all trainable. So really, a combination of of what I learned combination of what i saw with these elite athletes and what i knew you need to do to improve performance and that's how i've really formulated all that research
0: Mm -hmm. and when you when you talk about these skills are you kind of um are you completely referring to the visual skills that they they have within their sport
1: yeah visual, visual response skills or visual motor skills
0: got you um and just kind of broadly speaking, when a team or an athlete enlists your expertise, um, what what do you do? Kind of what does that offering look like when you turn up at the facility to start working with them as a process?
1: Yeah, it's really it's it's really unique to the team or the environment or the culture or whatever I deal with. Um, but basically for me the ideal world is eye to eye. So meeting with each player, arrive at the facility, meet the coaches. Meet those who head up the performance department and then assess every single player individually, and then formulate that, and then immediately create training programs for them.
0: And kind of how? What are some of the ways in which that you do assess them? Is there? Are you able to kind of break down um, to some degree what that kind of visual assessment looks like?
1: It's it's pretty extensive, but um I could probably mention some of which I think are the more the more important skills. So I think one of the really important skills for for any athlete is um something called visual recognition. And that is the ability to to see something early, you know, to have time to execute whatever you do. And if you look at the really best of the best in the world, it always seems like they do things in slow-mo, and they've got so much time to perform and execute that skill. So that is that is a trainable skill. Um, the ability to judge is really important. You know, where you are in space and where others are in space and where the ball is in space, or depending on what sport you, you're involved in. Um, I even did um, 2000, beginning 2000, I worked with Prado America's Cup and you know, a lot of people have always said to me, but there's not a ball involved and et cetera. But they need to judge the water. They need to see what the you know, they can read the wind on the water, etc. Um, so there are a lot of other skills that are important. And then um, awareness, the ability to the other skill is awareness, ability to to feel what is happening around you. And that involves skills like um, peripheral awareness. So I don't talk about peripheral peripheral vision because we all have a measure of that, but awareness is how quickly I respond to any stimuli in, you know, around me. It, it could be sport, it could be driving a car, it could be, could be anything you're doing. So those three skills I think are really crucial and there are a lot of other eye movement skills, etc., that we measure. Um, we measure simple reaction time, we measure choice reaction time um, and, and various other skills.
0: Do you kind of look at um, general ophthalmic health at the same time or um, is that a separate no, not, piece?
1: No, that's, that's completely separate. So uh, I always say we are not um, ophthalmic, we're not optometrists, we are sports scientists and we work with the performance of the, of the athlete. Um, those are two entities completely on their own and um, I, I don't venture into them at all.
0: And, and is that the same with um, vestibular stuff as well, um, or do you kind of tie in any vestibular stuff with the awareness yeah. as, as well? Or?
1: Of course, of course, there is a there is a measure of that, but I do not test sight, and I do not deal with injury of um, of the eye or disease of the eye, etc. Those guys are the experts in that.
0: Yeah. And when you've done your assessment, I know this is a very contextual and it depends kind of question, but um, yes. what are the kind of training methods that you use to actually improve somebody's visual uh, performance skills? I know it depends on the, what you've assessed, but what are kind of some ways in which that you actually kind of facilitate the improvements?
1: Yes, yeah, so part of, uh, part of my, my PhD was also, um, there's a section which I, at that point, called visual coaching. As um, because I believe because the individual is unique, he has a unique system, Um, and we've probably assessed about 100,000 elite athletes in all different kinds of sports. Wow. We've never found anyone that is exactly the same as as anyone else. So everyone needs to use their visual system unique to themselves. So, for example, Andrew, you would be – say so you're playing um, football, you would be better seeing a ball coming from the one side than from the other side, for example. And you would um, you would have better peripheral vision than I have, so you'll pick up information earlier. And I need to find out all those things of athletes and then teach them how to use those skills effectively. And as I said, that we all have these strengths and weaknesses in this visual motor system, and I need to teach the the individual or coach the individual to using their skills effectively
0: are you ever able to kind of work out why somebody does have maybe uh, a weaker link in their visual chain of like why one skill is more developed or one side is more developed are you ever are you ever able to dig into their history and yeah. pull out that information
1: so as i've as i've assessed all these great athletes all over the world i've if i really find someone unique i uh, i would ask them a little bit about the background and where they come from, et cetera. And I really believe that we develop these skills by the nature of how we grow up. And um, there's definitely a correlation between the really good ones and, you know, the the great ones. Um, So, and and I I think, uh, please don't think that. I think I was great, but what I did as a kid, I, I actually without knowing trained all these skills by doing all those experiments that i did and i was training all these abilities so when i got to compete out of isolation against some of the best hockey players in the world i could kind of hold my own and only because i thought i, I, I knew i had trained these abilities
0: and if this, that makes sense yeah and <laughs> that's through kind of like different um drills using the ball or using different sort of training environments you
1: know i, I I like to tell parents, for example, um, let your kids jump over fences and walk on walls and climb in a tree and do all those stuff because you are actually developing the skills uh, which we use in elite sport today. That, that is the basis of creating all those those visual motor skills.
0: Whilst we're kind of talking, I guess about youth, um, do you see much of a trend from a visual standpoint in um, how well people perform visually as to whether they've, you know, been an early specialiser in a sport or whether they've played a variety of sports growing up?
1: Mm, it's probably a hard one to answer. Um, yeah, you know, it depends what age you do it at. I think at an early age, I, I believe it's it, it's good to do because you you're actually developing different skills because as human beings we, we're pretty good at uh, not using the skills we're not good at so I believe that if you participate in different activities or different sports you would be required to use skills that you don't use in the in the other activity um, and I think it's it's great to be able to develop overall skills and then be selective when you eventually choose which sport you want to participate in.
0: Yeah, because I mean, it's definitely the case for uh, you know other more perhaps physical aspects of training with people now proving that it's better to have played a variety of sport early on than to have
1: specialised early. Um, yeah, cause we, I mean, end of the day, you you're just equipping yourself with a a certain skill set and not an overall skill set if you specialise too early.
0: And I guess you know, sport is chaotic, so. The, the kind of bigger variety of stimulus you've had, the bigger variety of uh, athletic tools that you can actually, you know, unleash oh. on the competitive field. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, just kind of thinking as a clinician, what are the, or well, are there any kind of um, key performance indicators that you track? You know, with your tests, is there kind of like a an objective system that you use to appraise your effectiveness or, or the progress that the athlete's making?
1: Uh, well... You could probably go and try, try it out on the website at iGym.com. Um, there's, there's an assessment, a basic assessment that you can assess yourself on. Um, there are performance um, indicators that we use. Um, we do a reassessment. Um, and then we, we, we did some interesting work to give you an idea of some of it. At, uh, we work with Aussie Rules where they had a system of measuring decision making, and our aim with that team was to assess the athletes, put them on a training program, reassess them, and then assess, did we impact decision making? And they they believed that if we could, that they believed it's a tool that they could use going forward. And we did impact decision making by 5% or something. Um, But for us, 1% 1% is good enough because um, we believe if we can make each individual make one better decision on, on the field of play in a group, you can imagine if you, if you just take um, rugby right for that, for example, if you've got 15 players and you make 15 better decisions in a match, um, it should influence performance. So there are different um, performance indicators.
0: when With regards to decision-making, when – when you kind of go into a team who's like the main liaison for you is it the technical and tactical coaches um that kind of have the influence on strategy or is it more the sports medicine sort of personnel
1: Uh, it's real mix of uh we deal with a lot of uh sports medicine um, who normally head up the performance department uh, but we deal with a mix We we do a lot of work with coaches. Of um, course, part of our job when we go into working with a team other than assessing the, the players and teaching them how to use their system effectively, we also um, try and influence how coaches set up training drills um, to challenge these components of the um, of the athlete or the player. Hmm.
0: I remember years ago I was um – I was working in professional rugby and before the weight sessions, players would do um, warm-up exercises that were primarily focused around proprioception and stability, um, yeah. lots of which of those exercises involved throwing and catching tennis balls, reacting to where the ball goes whilst uh being in certain positions or on certain surfaces. Um, Is there any kind of ways that you think, you know, maybe coaches or physios or people involved in um, sports performance, is there any kind of ways they can start to um, not copycat what you do, but um, borrow some ideas and implement that in their, their programs for athletes?
1: Yeah, I think, uh, I think physios, et cetera. A lot of, a lot of those um, professional people do do a ton of, of all of that. However, we believe to to really impact performance, you need to train at a level way higher than you experience in the in the game or in the match or in the activity that you participate in, um, and you need to train um, the athlete almost in an uncomfortable position um, and at a level that is is never experienced, and and that's really what we do in our gym. Um, We challenge him in all the skills, some of which he's not good at, and we challenge him at a level which is so high, which he would never experience really in the match, but um, we train him up to be able to handle whatever happens on the the field of play.
0: So you can kind of, with the visual system, you can almost, in training, overwhelm them, which... I guess with say collision-based sports, there's no way you can overwhelm them with collisions in training because of the risk. No, but with the no. visual stuff, you can you can really yeah. throw a lot at them um, as a stimulus. Yeah,
1: so, so we can um, we can in t- the training sessions are, are based on 10-minute training sessions, and we can in 10 minutes we can get the individual to make about a fi- about 500 decisions based on something he's never seen before. So you can imagine how that stresses the system, um, because as human beings we like to um, almost think ahead what we what we might see, or what we expect to see, and anticipate, um, which is good sometimes, but other time, most times it's not. So we want you to see exactly what what is happening and process that information as quickly and accurately, and then respond to that, and that's really how we train them up.
0: Did you, use, did you prescribe 10 minutes because that's kind of the optimal stimulus or is it because that uh, fits into warm-ups and training schedules, you know, elsewhere in the no, program?
1: No, no, we believe that's the optimum. So we started, I mean, in my early days, um, I actually trained the players manually, you know, where I used to throw balls and, you know, like you explained earlier on. But I quickly realized that um, that doesn't um, stimulate and stress a, the individual enough. Um, and that, that was too easy for them and then I needed to find ways of, of making it harder and that's, that's where I eventually got to developing a, a training program where I took everything I learned as a, as a professional hockey player and as a, as a scientist and I've built all those parameters into this training program and that is what, what they train on today.
0: You've mentioned I, Jim. Do you kind of have any uh, resources that coaches can use to help uh, them start um, developing visual skills, or is your offering kind of um, you know purely from a cons- kind of consultancy level?
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's more from a consultancy level. But um, we we work with people all over the world. Um, some of who we've never seen. Um, so they're individuals on our on our training programs, um, and they can train remotely. They, um, like in fact, can train anywhere in the world. Uh, we can monitor them. So we have a, a back end where we can see what they train, when they train. We can adjust their programs. Uh, we can assess them, we can reassess them, etc.
0: Is there. Sorry, just going backtracking a little bit. We were talking about dosing a minute ago with, the, with how long is optimal. Um, yeah. Is there. How much kind of rest does somebody need in their visual system? Do they, do they, can they do this? You know, a few times a day or every day, or do they need uh, rest like other aspects of training?
1: They they get uh, they get ten minutes a day. After that, the program discontinues. Um, when you unfit, just like you might be physically unfit, and I give you training to do, say ten minutes to do. Some uh, initially start off; uh, it, they're really fatigued. Um, but um, what I was actually going to say earlier initially our training programs were 30 minutes long um, but because the technology of what we do and the software program has improved so much that we're able to condense it and maximize the 10 minutes that we have
0: brilliant and are you active on social media? is there kind of places where uh, you post ideas or content or, or people can at least follow you?
1: Uh, we on we on Twitter and um, on Facebook, really, really those two, um, and we and we have have our website with cool. this informational.
0: I'll um I'll put links to all of those kind of profiles on our show notes on our website. Um, cool. Well, show I think that's all we've got time for today. But thank you so much for coming on the show and um, providing our listeners with such a unique angle on how you can enhance performance.
1: Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for the opportunity.
0: Thanks again to Dr. Cheryl Calder for coming on today's show. Next week's guest will be performance consultant Dr. Fergus Connolly, so stay tuned for that one. Again, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and give us a follow on Instagram at informperformance or on Twitter at informpod. Thanks again for listening.